Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and lovely people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. So today we are speaking with Stephanie, who kindly agreed to share her experiences so that we might all benefit. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. So how old are you? Where are you? And I don't know, what are you passionate about or what is something you like? Yeah, so I am 24 years old, originally from Arizona, now moved to Maryland. And my passions, helping out the community, nonprofit work, but mostly I work within brain injury communities and starting to dive a little bit into the POTS community. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear more about that. But maybe first I'm going to ask, what would your friends or family say are some words that describe you if we asked them? Yeah, that's a good one. I feel like they would say loyal and very, very determined, so much so that I'm headstrong, which I will have to agree with them. A lot of my work that I've done, I usually get the answer no first for a few hundred times. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, I'm making notes here because I want to ask if this trait came in handy getting a diagnosis, but we'll get to the POTS part in a minute. Let's see. Okay. I don't know. What kind of a little kid were you? You know, my mom would probably say that I was still headstrong even back then. I was quite independent. I was that kid that was like, no, I'll just go off on my own. I don't need any help. So much so that I wouldn't ask for help even when I grew older. But then after my diagnosis, I definitely learned that skill of asking for help. So can I ask a little more about what you do? So you said you do nonprofit work and with traumatic brain injuries? Correct. So I have done a lot of my work on helping brain injury survivors, but I also work within the mental health field in general. I've worked for Crisis Text Line before. I've just been all around different nonprofits trying to learn from them mostly because I want to be a person when I'm older that works within those nonprofits, hopefully in the more lobbyist side to try to gain more support and awareness towards those causes. So you said that oftentimes they will say no before they say yes. Can you talk more about what that is about? (laughs) Definitely. So a little bit backstory about me. I received three concussions when I was in high school. The third one being quite severe. I was in the bottom 1% impact for the nation, which meant that I was (laughs) in the same area as a lot of the very high professional athletes. And I had to leave high school during that time. And they told me that it was not safe to return back. But being the headstrong person I was, I wasn't going to take that to be true. I was like, no, I'm going to find a way to go back to high school. I want to graduate with my peers. So I did that. I decided to go back to high school and I kind of worked through all of the different issues that I had. And then from there, I realized 
I really want a concussion support group, that that wasn't something offered. So I decided that that was my next task. And so wait a second, wait a second. Instead of having you just charge through and get to the part about your nonprofit work, I feel like, wow, this is all related. Do you mind if we back up and maybe like oh, of course. Yeah. start at the beginning? And I super am excited to hear about your work, but it sounds like you've had quite a journey to get to where you are now. So yeah. can we back up to right before your first concussion? What were you doing? What were you up to? How old were you? And then why did you get three concussions? Oh, yes, that's a, that's a good point. My first concussion was freshman year of high school. I was playing volleyball. I was an avid sports person. That's kind of how I saw my identity as. And then exactly one year after that, in my sophomore year, I got my second concussion from volleyball as well. The problem, even though they weren't so severe and they had normal recovery, the problem was that three months after the second one, I had a third concussion. And those being so close together caused a very traumatic issue. I've heard that. I've heard that the brain is somewhat resilient against one concussion, but for some reason, if you get a second one too soon after, that's a big deal. Do you know anything about that? Just as much as what my doctors told me at that time, which was exactly that, you're more susceptible to having stronger concussions that were more damage to your brain right after a concussion. So that's why they say, no, get off the field, get off the court don't go back into the game or in keep yourself safe for at least about six to nine months, which is not what I did. <laughs> was your so. third concussion also from volleyball? It actually was not. Even though I was continuing to play volleyball at the time when I shouldn't have, my third concussion actually was from a car accident. It was not from. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so what happened then? From there, like I said, they wanted me to leave high school because it wasn't safe for me at that time. They were worried I was going to injure myself again, but I decided to go back anyway and kind of make my way through, even though I was having a lot of symptoms, not necessarily of the concussion, but I was having symptoms of panic attacks, mood swings, and anxiety. And little did I know at the time that that was going to be coming from my POTS diagnosis. Okay, so you weren't even like noticing any tachycardia. I was a little bit, but not to the point where doctors were that concerned of doing those tests. So I didn't get tested right away. Um, they mostly thought it was from anxiety from getting so many concussions and worrying I was going to get hit again. They kind of brushed it off as more of a mental illness sort of thing, even though that turned out not to be what was the case. So how did that feel? It was a struggle. I felt brushed off a lot, like they weren't really noticing something was going on, even though I felt it inside. And I always knew that something else was going on, that it was more than that. So I was always trying to get doctors to notice, but it didn't actually come until my sophomore year of college that doctors kind of start noticing something different was happening. Wow. So you had what, like three, four years where you thought you had a mental illness or, or you were being told it was just a mental illness. Correct. Yeah. Through that time, you just kind of muddled through. Yeah, I, I did. I did have a lot of issues and it was, 
it was a struggle to get through those first couple years of college for sure. Now, what led you to find somebody who was able to diagnose POTS? So what kind of happened was my sophomore year of college, I was just having too much stress. I was fainting quite a bit and no one really thought anything of it. They were like, oh, she just does that. Even though that should be a sign of something's wrong. I didn't even get out of bed, to be honest with you, for a while. I was just having too much of an issue actually standing up and not fainting and not falling down that my family decided this is enough. We need to get her into the hospital to have someone check her out because everyone keeps saying that nothing's wrong, but something's wrong. She came and get up. So I went into the hospital and they were going to say that it was anxiety again. And I told them, I said, I'm not going to leave here with that diagnosis because I can't get up in the morning. I'm just, I'm going to stay right here in your waiting room. <laughs> that's a little- How did they react to that? Wow, that's so bold. I'm impressed, you know, for <laughs> a young woman. That's uh, awesome. I, I will have to say, I learned that from my mom. My mom is a very headstrong person too. So she never really took no for an answer. So- <laughs> Thank goodness, because if you hadn't done that, you might still have no accurate diagnosis, huh? Exactly. So I said that to them and they're like, okay, well, we'll keep you here for a couple more hours. And they set me up to a EKG and they started after a while, after I think it was an hour or so in the emergency room, they, they saw something. They saw something odd and they were like, oh, I guess we should admit her. So then I got admitted to the hospital to stay overnight and there was a whole team of cardiologists, team of neurologists and Finally, they found out, they were like, oh, do you know that you have POTS? And I was like, I don't know what POTS is, but <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. So how did that feel to finally have an explanation? It was a little bit confusing at first, I'm not going to lie. And that's just because of how the doctor portrayed POTS. They're like, oh, yeah, that's probably why you're fainting. I'm like, okay, but what about all the other stuff that kind of led up to that? What about the anxiety and the mood swings? Like, are you just telling me that that's in my head? And finally, it took one cardiologist in particular that was like, no, don't you see that's the fight or flight response from having POTS? And I didn't realize that, that there was a connection there. And right in that moment, I realized all of the work that I've been working towards on how to not only help myself, but help others in the community was related to POTS because it wasn't just mental illness. It wasn't just in my head. It was a real thing. And being an advocate for myself kind of showed that other people could be advocates for themselves as well. So once you had an accurate diagnosis, were you able to get treatments or therapies that have helped very much since then? Yeah. So I, I did do some therapies at the beginning. And then I also, when I was in the hospital, they put me on a medication that is fairly common for people with POTS, a beta blocker. And something I would love to point out to other people is that's not necessarily the only one. Even though that's the most common one for POTS patients, it's not going to work for everyone because it, for me in particularly, I did not have a good reaction to it. And thank God I was in the hospital during that time. But then I got to realize that there are multiple types of medication for POTS. Yet that's not really discussed when you look it up on the internet. It always says just beta blockers. 
Can I ask what kind of reaction you did have to the beta blockers? Yeah, definitely. I took the beta block and it was a few different ones because they really didn't want me not to be on the beta blockers since it is such a common solution to POTS. But the reaction I had was it actually made me more tired when it was supposed to have the opposite effect and kind of help me stand up and be awake and be full of life. Um, I had the absolute opposite effect. I was in bed way more than I was to begin with. And it was a lot to begin with. And I also just had a hard time. It felt like I had a hard time breathing. And they did say that that does happen to some POTS patients and that they need a different type of medication. So for anyone out there listening, I would definitely say if the beta blockers doesn't work, don't give up. There's other ones and talk to your doctor about different possibilities. Okay, so now back to your work with traumatic brain injury and that kind of thing. How did that get started? Well, that actually got started after my third concussion. I was having a lot of anxiety. I was having mood swings and panic attacks. And I really, really wanted someone to talk to that understood. Yet I couldn't find anyone. And that really upset me when I realized that there was no in-person support groups or just someone my own age, like just explain what was going on in my head. So when I realized that, I decided, you know what? Instead of feeling upset that that's not something already established, I'm going to make it myself. And that was my whole goal for, uh, that was a goal for like two years until it actually came true. And I was able to have a in-person support group for those dealing with um, brain injury. And then from there, I realized, oh, I'm my own agent of change. I can do something to help the community. If I see a problem that I want to fix, I can fix it. And that kind of led to advocacy. Very cool. Okay, so what does that mean that it led you to advocacy? What did you do then? I decided I was going to go to college. I went to Arizona State and I was like, what am I going to study? I'm going to study psychology and political science and bring those two together. And I mean, in the future, I hope to go to law school and be a lobbyist for those with mental health issues, brain injury survivors, POTS patients. Oh, that's wonderful. Yay. So does that mean that at this point you are pretty functional? I mean, if you're talking about going to law school, that's very demanding. Does that mean your brain works pretty well these days? (laughs) You know, I get that question a lot, actually. And I never really know how to answer it because I wouldn't say that it's all better, that it's all fixed. I run into a lot of those issues still daily. It's not necessarily that I solved all the issues as much as it's about the different ways that I've worked through it every single day and how that can change and being able to be adaptable and also having a huge, great support system behind me to help me along the way. For example, I mean, I still have a mood swing sometimes Um, when my POTS is acting up. I still have difficulty getting up some days, but realizing that That's just one little aspect of the bigger picture that is your life. And realizing that you can have those days off and have those days where you're not doing well and tomorrow can be totally different. That sounds so mentally healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be fooled. I'm not as mentally healthy as you think. (laughs) (laughs) So a moment ago, you had mentioned something about how on a day-to-day basis, you still have to be kind of flexible and you still have to do things to kind of work through your symptoms. 
Do you have any examples of things you do to kind of help your life work better? I think it's just about your mentality. I mean, knowing that it's okay not to feel well. And no matter if it's a day, it's a week or a month that you're not doing well, that doesn't mean that that's the end. I mean, no matter what age we are, we're all still as young as we're ever going to be. And you can still work through it. So has POTS or any of the related issues changed your activities a whole lot? Like I'm guessing that volleyball is no longer a big part of your life. Like how much of a different life do you have now than you used to because of all this? It's quite different. I definitely had to find my own new identity in a sense, because I wasn't playing volleyball, I wasn't doing sports, and exercise is still a daily issue. I mean, I can't go to the full extent like I once was. But also on top of that, I mean, POTS has affected quite a few things about my daily life. I have to be more observant of my stress levels than before, and kind of forcing myself to do some self-care. And also realizing the relationships that I have. Because before when I was super high stress, that I was having these issues of fight or flight, and when my POTS was acting up, I would have difficulties making connections with other people. I mean, I think a lot of POTS patients understand this to a extent, and it's hard to maintain those relationships when you're trying to just survive yourself. So do you feel like it's actually easier now to connect with people than before? I think it is. After I got my diagnosis, my life turned around. I mean, of course, it took a few months to get it all regularized and whatnot and feel back to my normal self. But once I did, I was able to open up so many other things in my life. I was able to do better in school. I was able to make better connections with people. And I mean, I had more energy to actually live my life. That's great. Is there any type of self-care that helps you the most? Like anything about, I don't know, a sleep routine or anything about nutrition or exercise or anything at all that like is your bedrock for staying feeling better? Yeah. So I've only been recently doing this, to be honest with you, but just walking on the treadmill. Because after my diagnosis, I was just so afraid to get back into exercise because I was having so many difficulties and I would feel like I was going to faint and it just, I didn't feel like it was safe. But slowly bringing that into my routine daily has been a substantial help. Honestly, all I was doing was going on the treadmill and slowly increasing it from 10 minutes to 15 to now 30 And I think that makes a huge difference just personally. Oh, that's wonderful. Is there anybody in your life that you feel like helps you with all this or made a big difference in getting you where you are now? Oh, my mom, for sure. My mom. She was there for every single part of it and every single doctor's visit. And she's the one that made sure my voice was heard. And it brought me into the woman I am today that speaks about my story, shares it with others to let them know that they're not alone. And I definitely got that courage from her. That's great. I always think about how I wonder, you know, everybody who's listening to this podcast must 
at least suspect that POTS is relevant to them, which means that they had to do either a bunch of research or they had to see either a doctor and they got lucky and their doctor told them. But I know there's a lot of people who don't get lucky and they have to really fight for answers. And I do worry about the people who it's just not in their nature to fight. Like, do you ever think about where you'd be right now if you hadn't had that strength to speak up and to demand to stay at that ER until they figured out something besides anxiety? Like, (laughs) I mean, I do wonder about that all the time. I know that that was the only option that I could see myself having in that given time because I I was not going to leave. But I do worry about those other people that don't necessarily feel like they can speak up. I mean, I know other family members and friends that have a hard time getting their diagnosis too. I've met a lot of people in the POTS community that didn't get a chance to really get diagnosed until later on in their life. And I feel like that's just taking away from their life that they could have had. Right, because it might still be fresh in your memory, but I know that in my memory, life is very different when you're constantly questioning yourself. Am I imagining this? Am I making this up? Am I just not trying hard enough? Versus once you have that answer and you're like, oh, okay, I just have this thing. I am and- so glad you brought that up because that is exactly how I felt too. Like, is it just in my head? <laughs> and that's a huge burden, right? Like, it wasn't that long ago. What what was life like for you being in high school, you know, a time when you're supposed to be, you know, kind of carefree, but the whole time you're wondering if you are making up some mental illness? That sounds horrible. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought at the time too. I was just so confused. And you know, when you look on the internet, yes, there's some information about POTS, but there's not like one central place to find all of your answers. So you really have to go digging. And when you don't even know what you're digging for, it seems just impossible. Yeah. So what gives you the strength to deal with all this? You know, you seem very upbeat, very (laughs) positive. And is it always like that? And what helps you stay so strong? I'm this way because I'm not going to stop until every single person can share their voice and their story. Because I know that I felt like I could do that. But I know other people don't feel that way. So I'm going to stick by them until they feel comfortable. And I want to be that person that is helping them through their journey as much as my mom helped me through mine. So that's kind of what I see my whole life passion as. But am I like this every day all the time? No, 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 no. I mean, I have my own downfalls. I have days where I feel defeated. And I have to remind myself that I'm human too. And that that's completely okay. And it doesn't mean that's the end. It doesn't mean that you failed. It means that you're going through one of the steps. That's so much wisdom. That's great. What do you miss most about your life before POTS? You know, I don't think I would change it. I don't think I would change it. I like the person I am today because of all the hardship that I went through. Getting that POTS diagnosis, I mean, it made me stronger. It made me more vocal and I wouldn't change that. That is excellent. That is so (laughs) wonderful. So what are your favorite activities or hobbies these days if it's not really high intensity sports? Yeah, (laughs) I definitely don't do that anymore. I volunteer a lot because when I give back to others, I feel better. I feel like 
I remind myself that my worries are very tiny in comparison to the whole world. But other than that, I do photography. And I kind of find that to be something that's more self-care for me. I also just enjoy relaxing and binge watching TV, which I've done a lot in the past couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like what you said about volunteering or focusing on other people's issues. I found that for myself, you know, for a couple of years, I wasn't able to work very much. And that was the most mentally difficult because I was used to focusing on other people's issues and helping them with their things. And I think I didn't realize how therapeutic that is until it was gone. And now I would work for free. I would do it evenings, weekends, 24 seven, because I really feel like whether it's volunteering or paid work or whatever, if you're helping other people with their problems, that is, it's just so good to get out of your own head. It is. Um, and I wish I had learned that at your age. You sound very wise for somebody who's, are you, do you say you're 24? I'm 24, yes. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you know now about living with POTS that you wish you had known sooner? There's quite a few, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think the number one thing, which I've mentioned before, was the multiple different types of medications for POTS. That was a very big thing, but also all the other leading aspects of POTS. Like I've done a lot of research and it shows that people that have autoimmune deficiencies tend to be of greater risk to POTS later on. Personally, I have celiac disease. So that was like, oh, it just clicked. That makes sense. But also the fact that with POTS, you can get it from multiple different ways. I, I used to think when I first heard of POTS that you had to be born with it. So I was quite confused when I'm like, oh, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. It was quite confusing to realize that you could be born with it. It can come from something like a trauma, like head trauma, like how I had. There's just so much information that it, it seems super hard to consume it all when you're just given the diagnosis. Yeah. And you mentioned there was a few things. Any Anything else that you want to share that you wish you had known sooner um, about POTS in case there's somebody out there right now who's new to POTS? <laughs> I would say that I thought it was very silly when my, uh, <laughs> when my cardiologist said to find a favorite salty snack. I thought he was very silly for that because I'm like, oh yeah, what is a bag of potato chips going to do for me when I'm feeling so awful? But little to find out, those were lifesavers when I was having a very severe POTS issue. And I was able to just grab my thing of Lay's potato chips and my Powerade, and I felt so much better in such a short amount of time. So even though it seems silly, it, it really does work. <laughs> That's great. Need the little superhero cape on the bag of chips. Sponsored by Lay's. <laughs> <laughs> Are you up for a speed round where we ask you to just say the first thing that comes to mind? Sure. Sounds okay, good. perfect. What is your very favorite way to get salt? Lay's potato chips. <laughs> what drink do you find the very most hydrating? I would say the orange Gatorade. Strangely enough, the orange one particularly. I think that's the original. <laughs> what is your favorite time of day and why? Um, my favorite time of day is right in the morning. 
as long as I don't have to go work right away and I'm able just to drink my coffee and sit on my couch and watch the news. <laughs> Very nice. How many doctors do you think you have seen altogether for POTS and related issues or trying to get to a POTS diagnosis? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. I've been through so many emergency rooms because it was just so long to even see a doctor or get an appointment and they weren't taking new patients. I mean, we're seeing that even today. I mean, it's so hard to get a POTS diagnosis right now. Ugh. Ooh, okay. Give us one word to describe what it's like when you're in an emergency room. Stressful. <laughs> yeah. How many other POTS patients have you ever met face-to-face -face in person? I would say about 12, but two of them I talked to before they became POTS patients. And when they told me their stories, I told them to go get checked out. And it turns out that that was what they had. And it was two people that had brain trauma as well, like how I did, who didn't even realize that you can get POTS from such an impact. Wow, so you are already saving other people from the years of thinking it's all in their head. Oh, that's so excellent. Way to go. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. What is some good advice someone ever gave you about anything? Okay, this one's going to be silly. But my mom would always say this saying, which I'm pretty sure is not a true saying. She would say, well, they can't take away your birthday. And what that means <laughs> is that no matter what, even if you make a complete fool of yourself or you do something completely stupid, it's okay because you know what? The very next day, you're still going to wake up and you're going to be the same person you were yesterday. And she would say that all the time. And I'm pretty sure that that's why I was like, you know what? I don't care if anyone thinks I'm absolutely insane in this emergency room. I am going to speak up for myself. That's great. What is something small or inexpensive that brings you joy? That's a good one. I can't really think of anything. I mean, a lot of things bring me joy. I guess I would have to say a cup of coffee or my collection of coffee mugs because I have way too many, <laughs> but they're just so cute. And they usually have inspiring sayings on them. Like I have one that says, make it count. And I have another one saying, be the change. So they're all inspiring ones. Great. What is something that we have not heard about yet that you are proud of? That's a good one. <laughs> well, I and I know I made it hard because I said that, I mean, you've done so many cool things um, <laughs> to be proud of. Well, making you. Your I would say that this past year during COVID-19, I served AmeriCorps. That's what brought me to Maryland. So that was super cool. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay. What is the toughest thing about living with POTS? I feel like one of the toughest things is not being surrounded by people that know what you're going through. Because I mean, there are support groups and I've seen a lot of online Facebook pages for it, but you're not daily next to someone who kind of understands what POTS flare-up really is. So when you're dealing with it, it's really hard for others to understand and sympathize. And that in itself can feel quite lonely at times. Yeah. If you could send a gift to every other POTS patient in the world and you had infinite funds to do it, what would you send? Okay. 
So <laughs> it might be an expensive gift, but I see that they have new smartwatches that can determine someone's blood pressure. So I feel like that is super cool. And I would give that to every single POTS patient. So that way you kind of can regulate yourself when you know that something's going wrong. Beautiful. What is something that you're grateful for? Oh, I'm grateful for so much. Honestly, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for my cardiologist that figured it out because he didn't have to take a chance on me. He could have just looked the other way and been like, uh, oh, it seems like anxiety, but he didn't. He kept me around to figure out why I was going through this and what was happening. And I am so grateful that he did. I mean, he's still my cardiologist today. And it just was by chance that I met him in this hospital. Okay, great. Can you finish this sentence? People might suspect I'm a potsy when... <laughs> People might expect that I'm a potsy when I faint every single time I get my blood drawn. Every time, to a T. So I let the people that are taking my blood know. Um, they're like, oh, that's not going to happen. What are you talking about? That's not real. And I mean, I do every time. So, and then I- That sounds very inconvenient. So what do you do then? How long are you passed out for? I mean, it's not very long. <laughs> I mean, people kind of get freaked out by it, especially I didn't mention this, but I'm six foot. So I usually get the nurses that are like five foot and it's always just one singular nurse. And I always let them know, I'm like, hey, you should probably bring someone else in. They never ever take me up on it, but it happens every time. So <laughs> you would think that they would get used to it by now. <laughs> I mean, I'm getting used to it by having this happen a lot. It doesn't even phase me anymore. I know that when I'm going into a doctor's office to get my blood drawn, that that is going to happen. So I don't really think about it too much. <laughs> Good for you. That's great. So I just have a couple more questions. Is there anything you wish more people knew about POTS? I honestly just wish more people knew about POTS in general, like a, a, just a general awareness. There's a lot of studies right now saying that we're going to have a POTS increase from COVID-19 because it's one of the more long-term effects and just knowing POTS in general would be super helpful in getting people diagnosed. And I feel like not a lot of people know it unless you know someone that has it. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say to your fellow POTS patients who might be listening out there? What I would tell them is it is extremely okay to feel like you're not doing enough, that you're not doing as much as other people out there, but you are because you're facing a battle every single day. And that battle is so hard and I completely understand it. And you are not alone. Well, I cannot think of better words to end on. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights. And thank you for being committed to helping people going forward. I'm really excited for your career and I hope you'll keep in touch with us and let us know what you're up to. And I just think it's so beautiful to make all of your struggles mean something to help future people like you have it easier. That's just beautiful. Thank you so much. So hey, listeners, thank you for listening. Like Stephanie said, remember you're not alone. And please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. 
This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.